Well met, and welcome all to the Wild Roots Podcast. I am your host, Azure, and I invite you to let me be your guide to exploring all things pagan and to discovering more about yourself on the journey to finding your wild roots. In every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. John Muir Paganism Taste the word upon your tongue. Mull it over and feel the word in your mind. What does it conjure for you? Paganism means different things to different people, and because of this, it can be hard to define. Technically, paganism is simply any non-Christian religion, but that seems so wide of a definition, it can be a little easy to lose our footing. Because of this, I wanted to make a podcast to share with you all my own journey and insights into paganism. To put it more succinctly, this podcast is the story of two homesteaders, my husband and myself, who were fed up with modern society and decided to leave behind what they knew to begin a pagan homesteading journey. I invite you to follow us as we rediscover the green in a world blanched of color and open the doors to a past long obscured. This podcast will cover a wide range of topics from episode to episode, but all will come full circle back to paganism. It may cover my own personal insights about my path or the insights of others. I will discuss deities, sabbats and espets, traditions, different types of paganism and spells. Wildcrafting and herbalism will also make a debut with our homesteading adventure featuring most prominently in the aforementioned nest of topics. With no further ado, let us dive into our first article. religions.com website, an article by Patty Wigington. What is paganism? So you've heard a little about paganism, maybe from a friend or family member, and you want to know more. Perhaps you're someone who thinks paganism might be right for you, but you're not quite sure yet. 
Let's start by looking at the very first and most basic question. What is paganism? Keep in mind that for the purposes of this article, the answer to that question is based upon modern pagan practice. We're not going to go into details on the thousands of pre-Christian societies that existed years ago. If we focus on what paganism means today, we can look at several different aspects of the word's meaning. In fact, the word pagan actually comes from a Latin root, paganus, which meant country dweller, but not necessarily in a good way. It was often used by patrician Romans to describe someone who was a quote-unquote hick from the sticks. In general, when we say pagan today, we're referring to someone who follows a spiritual path that is rooted in nature, the cycles of the season, and astronomical markers. Some people call this, quote, earth-based religion. Also, many people identify as pagan because they are polytheists. They honor more than just one god, and not necessarily because their belief system is based upon nature. Many individuals in the pagan community manage to combine these two aspects. So, in general, it's safe to say that paganism, in its modern context, can usually be defined as an earth-based and often polytheistic religious structure. Many people are also looking for the answer to the question, what is Wicca? Well, Wicca is one of the many thousands of spiritual paths that fall under the heading of paganism. Not all pagans are Wiccans, but by definition, with Wicca being an earth-based religion that typically honors both a god and goddess, all Wiccans are pagans. Be sure to read more about the differences between paganism, Wicca, and witchcraft. Other types of pagans, in addition to Wiccans, include Druids, Asatrar, Kemetic Reconstructionists, Celtic Pagans, and more. Each system has its own unique set of beliefs and practices. Keep in mind that one Celtic Pagan may practice in a way that is completely different than another Celtic Pagan, because there are no universal set of guidelines or rules. Some people in the Pagan community practice as part of an established tradition or belief system. Those people are often part of a group, a coven, a kindred, a grove, or whatever else they may choose to call their organization. The majority of modern pagans, however, practice as solitaries. This means their belief and practices are highly individualized, and they typically practice alone. Reasons for this are varied. Often, people just find they learn better by themselves. Some may decide they don't like the organized structure of a coven or group, and still others practice as solitaries because it's the only option available. In addition to covens and solitaries, there are also significant amounts of people who, while they usually practice as a solitary, may attend public events with local pagan groups. It's not uncommon to see solitary pagans crawling out of the woodwork at events like Pagan Pride Day, Pagan Unity Festivals, and so on. The pagan community is vast and varied, and it's important, especially for new people, to recognize that there is no one pagan organization or individual that speaks for the entire population. While groups tend to come and go, 
with names that imply some sort of unity and general oversight, the fact is that organizing pagans is a bit like herding cats. It's impossible to get everyone to agree on everything, because there are so many different sets of beliefs and standards that fall under the umbrella term of paganism. Jason Mankey at Patheos writes that even though not all pagans interact with each other, we do share a lot on a global level. We've often read that same books, we share common terminology, and have common threads found universally. He says, quote, I can easily have a pagan conversation in San Francisco, Melbourne, or London without batting an eye. Many of us have watched the same movies and listened to the same pieces of music. There are some common themes within paganism worldwide, which is why I think there's a worldwide pagan community, or greater pagandom as I like to call it." End quote. Many pagans, and certainly there will be some exceptions, accept the use of magic as part of spiritual growth. Whether that magic is enabled via prayer, spell work, or ritual, in general there's an acceptance that magic is a useful skill set to have. Guidelines as far as what is acceptable in magical practice will vary from one tradition to another. Most pagans, of all different paths, share a belief in the spirit world of polarity between the male and female, of the existence of the divine in some form or other, and in the concept of personal responsibilities. Finally, you'll find that most people in the pagan community are accepting of other religious beliefs, and not just of other pagan belief systems. Many people who are now pagan were formerly something else, and nearly all of us have family members who are not pagan. Pagans, in general, don't hate Christians or Christianity, and most of us try to show other religions the same level of respect that we want for ourselves and our beliefs. Well, folks, that concludes the article by Patty Wigington, quote, What is Paganism? I love Patty's work. She's an excellent author, and she has a lot of really great and informative articles that can be found on the LearnReligions.com website, many of which we will be covering in this podcast. If ever you want more information and I just can't release them fast enough, head on over and check her out. Springtime is finally here. Things are finally beginning to warm up and the rains have begun to pass. My husband and I have a lovely set of apple trees blooming in our front yard. It's been wonderful watching the petals fall to the ground and paint everything in little dapples of pink. We recently got a set of six chickens as well. They're super cute little babies. Watching them grow has been a lot of fun. But watching everything bloom has made me realize that now might be a good time to discuss a very special pagan holiday. This holiday is known by some as Ostara and by others as Aostre. 
If this sounds familiar to you in any way, it's because you've got a good ear. It's very similar to the word Easter, and in all likelihood is where the holiday tradition comes from. As stated before, every pagan is different, and we all have our own unique ways of celebrating each holiday. In my own personal practice, I brought an egg out before my altar, said a prayer to the goddess, and gave her the egg as an offering. But there are countless ways to celebrate and hold this day special in your heart, and we're going to go over some of them now in the following article called, What is Ostara? How the Spring Equinox Became Easter, by Rebecca Bell and Eleanor Tremere. is Ostara. Commonly thought of as the origin of the Christian Easter, Ostara is the festival of the spring equinox, a time to celebrate the moment between darkest winter and the height of summer. The date of Ostara, like many astrological events, likes to ruin our attempts at pinning it down to our Gregorian calendar, thus it varies from year to year. Ostara comes between Imbolc and Beltane, and is the second spring festival on the Wiccan slash Neo-Pagan Wheel of the Year. As the equinox, Ostara brings night and day into exact balance. It's the day when the hours of sunlight perfectly match those of moonlight, before the days get longer as we progress into summer. Like Samhain, which falls on the autumn equinox, Ostara is a liminal time between winter and summer. But while Samhain historically deals with death and what lies beyond the veil, Ostara instead celebrates rebirth and life on this mortal plane. For Wiccans, it is believed to be the day when the goddess, or Mother Earth, matures and is united with the sun god in sacred marriage. It is a time when the goddess is in her maiden stage, crossing from childhood innocence to adult passion the potential of fertility and growth, as well as a readiness to be reborn. This goes back to pagan mythology surrounding the festival, like the Celtic myths of Caridwin and Hearn the Hunter, or the Greek Persephone returning from the underworld to bring back life to the world. Ostara celebrates fertility and readiness to grow, and can be seen around us in the color of flowers and blossoms. So it is common practice to celebrate this time in nature, observing the effects of the astrological union of sun and earth. Many deities and spirits around the world are associated with the spring equinox, which is unsurprising given the importance of fertility to all living things. We have Mithras from the Romans and Osiris from ancient Egypt, who both share an all-too-familiar story of resurrection on the spring equinox. Many modern Wiccans and pagans like to celebrate fertility deities around this time, like the Norse Freya or the Roman Sibyl. And spring celebrations don't have to be rooted in the equinox, because seasons around the world differ. For example, the Hindu spring celebration of Basant Panchami which celebrates the spring goddess Sarasvati, takes place in February, 
as spring arrives earlier in India than in Northern Europe. The changing of winter to summer marks an important date across cultures and time, and the threat of many double-booked celebrations as a result. However, in association with Astara itself, these two figures stand out. Aostre, sometimes known as Ostara, is the Germanic goddess of dawn and is celebrated to bring fertility, renewal, and rebirth. However, her origins and worship are faded in history. It has been theorized as early as the 8th century by Saint Bede that this Teutonic goddess was the foundation for spring equinox celebrations. The hare in Celtic tradition is associated with the moon and is most connected to Aostre. In folklore, it is said the moon and the hare die each morning and are resurrected each evening. Thus, the hare became the symbol of immortality, fertility, and abundance. Eggs. They feature a lot in the folklore that surrounds the spring equinox. For Zoroastrian Noruz, still celebrated in Iran as the New Year, eggs were covered with wax and painted with bright colors. Obviously, we can see parallels between these ancient roots and the Christian festival of Easter. Linguistically, Aostre is the etymological origin for Easter. So why is that? Historians have different theories. As Christianity spread through Northern Europe and people maintained their older traditions, the church, as a result, started to encompass these pagan traditions and festivals within the Christian calendar. St. Patrick, whose day is also celebrated around the equinox, very deliberately incorporated Irish folk traditions and beliefs into Christian practice as he actively converted the population of Ireland. For example, the Celtic cross features a circle at the center. As the sun was venerated within the Irish pagan tradition, St. Patrick thought that this would help his converts associate the cross with divinity. Considering how popular the Celtic cross is today, it seems this campaign was a success. As for whether Easter is the definitive date of Christ's resurrection, that remains wreathed in shadow. While the Roman census clearly places Jesus' birth in June, it's harder to pin the crucifixion down to a day on the calendar, or even a year. But whatever the historiography of Jesus' life, as a divinity linked to the sun, he is related to his predecessor pagan sun gods, like Mithras, who also died and were born again, and have been connected to the spring equinox as a result. So, although claiming Eostre slash Ostara slash Easter for Christianity may have been a deliberate campaign by the Church, we could also argue that Jesus is just another in a long line of deities associated with this date in the calendar. What's more, our popular iconography of the hares and rabbits and eggs in association with the festival could be thought of as ancient traditions persisting, a millennia apart from their origins. We are sure to find the superstores full of commercial goodies surrounding Easter, from eggs, fluffy chicks, and rabbits to fake flowers and chocolate. These signs of commercial Easter have a pagan past, of course. 
Traditionally, in Germanic cultures, it would be commonplace to bring fresh flowers into the house, using flower petals to mark a sacred circle and even filling a vessel with spring water. Images of hares and even painted eggs would also be displayed to honor the goddess of fertility. Now, modern pagans and magic users celebrate Ostara through rituals and spells that focus on balance and fertility. These can be strengthened with the presence of a full moon, which this year happens on the 28th of March, just two days before the equinox itself. And of course, there are many folk customs surrounding eggs. Full of promise and new life, the egg represents the fertility of the earth and all creation. The yolk symbolizes the sun god and the white of the goddess Aostre, in perfect balance with the potential of growth. It is also known that if you bury an egg by the entrance to your home, your garden will be blessed with fertility for the year. Alternatively, you can blow eggs and then paint the shells with symbols to represent your wishes before threading them on a string and hanging them in your home or gifting them to others as charms for the year. However you celebrate your spring equinox and Ostara, we hope that it brings a spring to your step for the new season and blesses your home and garden with fertility and life. Well, everyone, that wraps up the time we have for our podcast today. Thank you so much for honoring me with your time. I am so excited to be kicking off this brand new podcast, and I cannot wait to see where it goes. I hope you'll come to see me again, and together we will discover.